Welcome to Trust the Journey. I'm Jason Maletsky. And I'm Melanie Curtis. Our mission is to live, laugh, love, and learn together with you. That is true. That is 100% the truth. We are also here to create conscious connections, to grow and contribute through our practice of openness, honesty, vulnerability, humility, and trust, trusting the entire journey. That is also true. Yes. If you want to find us on the internet, our name is our handle, trustthejourney.today will get you to us. You'll find us on Instagram, on Facebook, on Patreon, on our website. Uh, you can get swag. You can join part of our family, become part of the community. Um, yeah, we're out here. Reach out, connect, send us a message. Love to hear yeah, from you. Absolutely. All right, family, let's do this. Let's dive into this episode. We just so appreciate you being with us for this episode and every episode. If it's your first episode with us, thank you for being here. And we're just so glad you're all here. So this episode, we are doing our fifth in the series of reflections where we're interviewing each other, sort of an interview interview style. And today I get to interview Jay on his base jumping years and those experiences. So I'm excited to see where this one's going to go. The me too. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, a part of me really does want to pick up where we left off on your early years because we at the end of that episode and we can link that in the show notes guys if you haven't heard that, but there's a part of me that wants to to pick back up there at f- to start, and yeah. because you were telling us how you started basically working at a, a base jumping loft, right? And you started building rigs. Is that what happened? And there's, I, I just kind of want to hear about that or where that sort of helps us begin. Yeah, so that's a really it's a really great place to pick up the story uh, because really it's when things started to develop for me and I went from having made a couple base jumps to becoming a base jumper and I took an apprenticeship and did a full-on immersion with my entire life into base jumping and previous to that I had made a few base jumps at bridge day um, and you know had the initial experiences that a lot of us have when you when we start off in something but the decision to immerse myself and to truly make base jumping what I was doing with my life as, as like this is what I'm doing right now as I am jumping off of stuff that wow. that that was fueled by the experiences leading up to that point of you know the losses that I'd had in my life with my mother and father um, with my daughter with my teammates, with my team, everything just just fall into bits and finding myself at a place where I really had no hand, it wasn't like hands off the handlebars, it was like there was no handlebars on the bike and I just didn't know what the fuck was going on in this thing called life. Yeah. And I was so far off of anything I could even predicted or like if I was to make up my most grandiose story about what my life might end up being like 
I was so far off that path of possibility that I was just like, this sounds insane. <laughs> right. Let's do that. <laughs> right. You were, yeah. It's, yeah, like your heart was so hurting that you were just like, it, it sounds almost parallel to your first jump story where you were like, kind of almost in the fuck it zone. Correct me if I'm wrong for sure. Abs- no, absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and and the thing about that that's interesting is um, that's worthy of mentioning is I never did anything to fix any of the things that were wrong with myself. You know, when I started skydiving, I was really, really broken emotionally, spiritually, mentally, like all the things, right? Yeah. And I didn't do anything to get better. I just used skydiving as a feel better method. And so when skydiving kind of fell apart on me, I still loved it. It still did the job. It was like I'd get a hit when I needed one. But, you know, then I moved to something stronger with, yeah. with base jumping. Yeah, know? fascinating. So you're, you're starting to become a, a base jumper, sort of you're immersing into the community. And I know that obviously when we do that, when we start into something, we meet people who become important people in our lives and you've got I've you know in our prep we've got a bunch of different names and I'm I'm curious is there one that sticks out as reasonable to mention first yeah absolutely yeah um my mentor (laughs) so ironic I didn't even write this down when I was sharing notes with you (laughs) love it perfect I'm glad (laughs) I asked it that way then yeah you nailed it (laughs) Um, my mentor was Mario Richard, mm-hmm. uh, a very well-known base jumper from Canada, also from Canada. So we had an interesting connection there that we're both Canadians. And he happened to be working at the loft uh, at Vertigo Base Outfitters here in DeLand um, back in the late 90s when I t- asked about the apprenticeship job. He was the one that was running the loft, basically. Marta and Mark Hewitt had started the business and Mark had left and Marta was running the place, but she was also traveling a lot and had a lot of other things going on in her life. So it was really Mario who was operating the, the place. And um, he became my mentor and he's the one who taught me how to base jump and he taught me to be a rigger. Um, and we worked every day in the loft together, cutting, sewing, folding, doing all the stuff, you know, packing parachutes, learning all the things. And so, um, I feel so blessed. Oh my God. So blessed to have been given a mentor like Mario, anybody who's known him or known of him knows that he's legendary for his attitude, for just the way that he approached life and for being the most fun loving, easygoing, just adventurous, beautiful spirit. And uh, sharing that time together with him was an absolute blessing in my life. And I want to say one thing that yeah, um, I remember running into him years later. It was a few years later, and we were in Vegas. Actually, it was a it was a at Marta's wedding, and um, we were walking down the hallway of a casino, and we just happened to be on the march. And everybody's full of life and energy. It's a wedding, you know. People are celebrating, and um, uh, we're marching along together. And I looked over to him. And I'm like, "Hey, man, I really, really, really want to thank you. You know, I really want to say thanks." He's like, "Yeah, man." 
No big deal, man. It's all good. Yeah, man. <laughs> no big deal for just directing your life in a huge major way. It's all good. Yeah. For influencing yeah. you in a in a super critical time in your life. No problem. And in a, and in an incredible way, like in an ethical, moral, yeah. spiritual ground, like in a beautiful fucking way. Oh, you know? that's wonderful. How yeah. lucky are we? That's when I'm like, geez, the universe has our back putting certain people on our path, you know? Which totally. kind of makes me want to ask next about because obviously, you know, sort of life and death. And I'm curious because you mentioned again about your first close call. Like I, I don't cannot, I don't base jump. So I, I cannot speak to really this part of, of, you know, this sport with any real knowledge other than just anecdotal stories from my friends throughout the years. So just no family that in my part of this discussion, it's really not coming from a place of knowledge. I'm learning right alongside with you as Jay shares. Um, and so, yeah, I'm curious about that, you know, cause I've seen, seen that and it seems like base jumping can be really, really dangerous, but I don't, I I'm curious what you have, what your thoughts are on that and relative to your sort of experience with having close calls or tell us about your first one, if that's relevant. Yeah. So uh, you, I mean, you just said base jumping can be really, really dangerous. And I'd like to correct that to say it is really, really dangerous. It's cool. not can be, it is absolutely really, really dangerous. And if you go back you know, 20 years ago or more, it was even more dangerous. Yep. You know, the equipment was a lot less reliable. We did, there was so many things we didn't know yet. And so in no way do I claim to be a, a pioneer in that sport, but to give some relative scope, the time frame when I learned a base jump, the total number of people who had a, a base number you know, mm -hmm. who were like inducted into the club was around 500 mm -hmm. in the world. Wow. Right. So it's a pretty low number considering the, the number of people in the world and how many people do it now. And it's a completely different world. And I started off jumping skydiving equipment. You know, it was just in that phase where it was not unusual to be taking a skydiving rig up something to jump off of it. Nobody looked at you sideways. It was more normal, more unusual to see base specific equipment to say, oh, cool. That's the rig. That rig's made only for base jumping. You wow. know, like when I started, it was mostly skydiving rigs and a few base rigs. Wow. And now if you see somebody with a skydiving rig, you'd be like, go home. Yeah. Right. Gear, right. You know? right. Yeah. We're <laughs> helping you. We love yeah. you. We love you. Leave. <laughs> yeah. Even if it was 20 year old base gear, you'd be like, no, 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 no. Right. You know, it's changed so much. So, <clears throat> yeah. So I kind of lost the main point of the question. There. That's okay. Just, no worries. No, yeah. I was, I was curious about your close call, like your first yeah. close call and your connection to, and just perception of the dangerousness and the close calls that happen, you know, like, so I don't know, I don't want to direct you yeah. necessarily super specifically. So. Yeah. Well, I, so, I mean, the whole point of what I was trying to express there is that when I was getting started, there was a certain amount of stuff that we knew, which was the minority compared to the amount of things we didn't know. Right. About what year what, was this in the late night, like 98, was when I took the apprenticeship in the cool. spring of 98. And 
there was a lot of known factors. There was a lot of jumping going on, but I mean, the, the, the chances of something going wrong are really, really high, you know, like it's probably going to happen at some point. And I don't think I made more than 25 or 30 jumps before I had my first scary, scary thing happened. And, um, it was, a a terminal based jump. So I'm going at, um, skydiving speeds, you know? Uh, so one other thing that I guess it's important to explain to the listener, if you're not already educated on it is when you first jump off something, you're not falling very fast. You're falling quite slowly. So you don't cover a lot of ground or a lot of air. You don't fall very far distance very quickly. And then <clears throat> as that speed builds up, it starts becoming a lot of distance covered in a second. And so this jump was one where you were taking free fall delays in around eight to 10 seconds. So you're starting to approach the same speeds that a skydiver has at terminal velocity. Right. And that means you're covering you know, 150 to 200 feet a second in free fall, somewhere in that range. Um, so th- distance clicks by really quickly. And we you would usually open our parachutes at about 400 feet. So you're about two seconds from impact when you po- deploy the parachute at that speed. Um, you could jump from the same altitude and throw the parachute right away and you could be, you know, five, six seconds from impact, depending on all the variables involved. But in this particular one, I was down in, um, uh, a place called the black hole Mm antenna in Southern Florida, which had an elevator, which allowed us to do repetitive jumps over and over again. So we Uh, basically would have a boogie. Oh, wow. Okay. Got it. We would rock up at sunset and throw out the pack of mats and put up all our cooler full of food and drinks and <clears throat> put out and start jumping. And we do eight or 10 jumps in a night mm-hmm. and just back to back to back, jump, pack, jump, pack, jump, pack, or take multiple rigs. I think I brought three rigs with me. Oh, wow. And yeah. And on one of those jumps, I reached back, I threw a pilot chute and probably going about 400 feet or so. And it was semi light out, semi dark. And when the parachute got to the end of the lines, it just was, it looked like a snivel and a snivel is like when, if you're a skydiver, you know, it's, it's just up there ruffling around. But what I could tell was that the, the tail had not released, that the tail pocket was still trapped. Something was wrong with the with deployment. And so I was actually like shaking the risers and like, like trying to get the canopy to come unfurled so that it could catch air. And it wasn't. And I went to the, full-on panic mode and the thing that I learned a huge lesson was I was switching between different rigs I had rigs that were set up for base jumping specifically that had uh, a reserve on them and they're designed that you have in a reserve and I had a skydiving rig that had a reserve and they have different handle arrangements one hmm. you pull a regular skydiving style cutaway and reserve deployment and the other one has a handle up high and you throw it it was an old style base rig, which nobody uses anymore. Right. And I reached for the wrong spot and just grabbed a hold of something, the wrong thing. and was just like tugging on for my life kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And obviously it's having no effect. And the parachute luckily just opened at like the last second. Wow. And I had all of two seconds of parachute ride <sighs> and wow. landed pretty much directly beneath where I would have impacted. Oh, my Lord. And my friend, Vladi Pesa, and Keith Levier were walking up Thivier, 
were walking up, driving up the road or walking up the road right when that happened. I'd never met them before. Like they were, I just like, whoa, land and flare land. And like, whoa, holy shit, that was close, you know? And I was all rattled. So that, I mean, that was like, that was in 98 and probably like, you know, April or something like that. And starting to get my first taste of what it's like to like, have a near death close call like really it was out of my control i fucked up Mm -hmm. i was pulling the wrong handle i didn't wasn't doing the right thing i was jumping the mixture of gear i was doing all the wrong things you know and um it was just luck just fate it's just a little reminder from a higher power to be like hey you know this is what happens when you get lucky you're getting away with this one but you better freaking pay attention Yeah, that's sort of where my brain was going was like, what did you learn? What did that motivate you to do? Well, the whole thing was I was in this cycle at the time, right? Like when, when I decided to do the immersion into base jumping, I was questioning what, what the hell is wrong with me? Why Mm -hmm. am I doing this? Do I, do I want to die? Am I trying to kill myself? What kind of stupidity am I signing myself up for here? I would go up a tower by myself and I would stand there and try to jump and I couldn't, you know, I'd be like, go, no, go, no, 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 back forth, like fighting this inner battle of like, why am I doing this? What am I trying like, this is stupid, but you want to do this. You climbed all the way up, back and forth, back and forth, this whole internal monologue, you know, and, and just the, this battle, this internal torment. And that, that incident really kind of slapped me in the face and said, you know, you, if you're going to do this, do this the right way. Make mm-hmm. sure you do it the right way. Don't be casual. Don't be loose. Don't get boogie fever. Don't be a schmuck about it. And also that in some ways I kind of don't have control, you know, like it, it the fact that, it, the parachute opened when I didn't have any more influence on it. You know, I basically was like, ah, I'm going in, you know? And then the parachute cracked open. I'm like, okay, am I even in control here? Like, do I even get to make a choice in this big equation or am I just on for the ride? And so part of it's in that, like letting go that the releasing of control the idea of control and we'll just say all right well we'll work within our known variables but in the big picture i release control and i let go of what i think i know you know yeah so wow just taking all that in i uh i'm curious because i know that was not your only close call you know so like you're heading out on your own and you're like, okay, you've had this wake up call and I think you're, you know, doing, going on road trips or I, I kind of am curious, like, what is, what was that looking like heading out on your own? You know what I mean? Like what, what does that look like as a base jumper? Or I guess it's maybe not a general com- conversation. It's more like what did heading out on your own look like for you? And how is that relative to the experience, like growing in your experience? Yeah, well, I ha- I have to say that like a big piece of that, the, the 
the development, like the adolescence inside of something, you know, when you're developing who you are in any endeavor, there's that adolescent period is if we all look back at any point in our life when we were we were the young, you know, full of energy, but no idea what we're doing kind of thing. There's so many mistakes that are made along the way and so many, you know, if you're in a in base jumping, it's a close call with your life or yeah. with a high level of injury. In a lot of other pursuits, it's embarrassment or making a mistake or financial loss or whatever, you know, putting somebody's assets at risk or who knows what it might be, you know. Right. In, in base jumping, it's just you and your life. Mm-hmm. It's just you and the end of it all. And the whole, like, I questioned my own sanity a lot. It was really a big, big question mark of like, why do am I so called to do this? Why is it so interesting to me to want to look at the end of all this? Because it, it, you really just get to see. So I guess this is a perfect point to or in the story to yeah. to go to this spot. One of the things that I've learned through my time in parachuting and specifically base jumping is we don't have a relative time frame understanding of how long we have in this world right we just simply do not know do i have five minutes five years or 25 years to go right. before this all ends and it is going to all end we know that but we tend to forget or pretend it's not going to or we like keep it as a distant concept and the construct of death being a relative thing it just isn't in our day-to-day that often but in base jumping it's in your face it's right there. You could literally reach out and touch it, you know? It's like seconds away. Seconds, mm. like a mere one to two seconds away from right. the end of everything. And learning to live in that space, spending time right at the end of your rope, like right at the end, and starting to learn about yourself and the relativeness of how finite this experience is and how how we should celebrate it and how we should just li- be present now like don't get there don't hurry up and get there and don't be back there don't be too late and don't be too far ahead you got to be right where you are and so the present moment this whole like meditation of the concept of the present moment People think base jumping is high adrenaline and they put like loud music and like when people who don't do base jumping put edit base jumping videos, they put like raw kind of music. And if you ever go base jumping with my friends, it's like Zen meditation, it's <laughs> silent, deep breathing exercises. Everybody's super paced. There might be some smiles and high fives, but it's generally like super focused and yeah. quiet and that presence is what it's all about. It's about being in the now. So what I've learned is this one one point. When you know that the end of your life is right there, it's right here. Mm-hmm. You could reach out and touch it. What do you do with the seconds you have between now and then? You can what choose a- to recoil into fear. Mm-hmm. You can choose to focus on the end and bring it into being. Or you can just celebrate the moment that you're in at that instant 
and be grateful and just truly revel, truly revel in the wow of the now. Wow. (laughs) That's, that's an authentic response to that. (laughs) It's just like, wow. It's it's like, (laughs) you know, like, (laughs) whoa, you know, it's huge. It's huge. Lunatic ride. Oh my Lord. Just such an intense experience. I'm curious next about Michael Sheffley Schaefer. Schleefy. Schleefy. Thank Schleefy. you. Schleefy. Michael Schleefy Schaefer. Oh, man. Yeah. So, inevitably, what happens when you start doing something is other people start asking questions and you start teaching and sharing and all the things come along with it. So, I mean, I started teaching base jumping on my second jump, right? I was already three other people learning alongside of me while I was making my second one. And that carried on, especially being an apprentice in a shop and getting proper tutelage. That when I carried on after, I started having numerous students and, you know, bringing friends along. And since then, I've taught dozens and dozens of people I I don't know how many people now you know quite a lot and Schleefy uh, was my first friend that I taught the first person who I taught who died so the first time I lost a student and not just a student but a really really close friend somebody who was near and dear to my heart somebody I spent lots and lots of time with. We lived in multiple places around the country together, traveled, worked together, you know, spent our free time laughing and enjoying each other's company. And there was, um, as an instructor, as somebody who, you know, found something incredible and wants to share it with others, that lesson that comes along when the first person that you lose and under your tutelage somebody dies and now you have to look at your decision making and say what did i do wrong where this person now isn't here anymore and how do i feel about the fact that i influenced their life in a way that led to its end at the in that way you know so it obviously weighs heavy on me and it's not the only person there's mm-hmm. been more and i think it, it's i don't even know what, how i want to say this like what i've come to learn about losing people um under my instruction is that I've done, I've tried to tell myself and be okay with the fact that I've done the very best that I can to give them the most information, to give them the best education, to give them all the tools, all the things that they could possibly arm themselves with in order to ensure that they're most likely to survive the experience and get the most from it, from it to be a positive, you know, beneficial experience in their lives. And it doesn't always go that way. 
no matter how hard you try and how much work you do, um, you know, sometimes things just turn out to be a, a bucket of bolts. You know? Yeah, it's, and it sounds like another piece of real and true surrender, letting go and and trusting. Yeah. It really sounds like it requires a deep, a deep, uh, you know, sort of depth of breath and and presence and acceptance and you know all the things that you were mentioning earlier um i'd like to shift gears we can talk about that more if you want if you want to say something else but before we move on but i would like to shift gears after that i, I think i'd like to say one other thing yeah go for it in that you know schleefy was my first true student who died like somebody who i actually had as a an apprentice you know and he'd been jumping for quite some time he wasn't a beginner anymore you know he had a lot of jumps under his belt when he died and he was out doing adventurous things but that choice my choice to continue being and to continue in the sport of parachuting first of all not just base jumping but skydiving also mm -hmm. to continue in the sport and to continue teaching, that was a huge, huge life. Like, am I going to continue passing knowledge about something that is so dangerous and can so rearrange people's lives? And, you know, since then, the number of people who have permanently altered their lives or have died while I've been working with them is, is in the dozens. Wow. Dozens of people have broken their legs broken their backs, you know, broken their necks, died. Wow. And, and that question is like, man, how do I get out of bed in the morning and go to work? And how do I continue to share this passion that other people also have as a passion when the risk is so high? And it it's definitely been one of the big, big things about how do I do I continue to pursue this endeavor in life or do I go back to twist and wrenches, mm -hmm. you know? So. Yeah. I mean, gosh, that's, it's hard to shift gears after that at all <laughs> because it's such a big conversation. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it, and, and, and how did you, it was really that surrender piece. Like, I don't want to put those words in your mouth. No, I, I, it is in some way, but I think more importantly, the choice is, it comes to this is like, these people are going to do this, whether I'm doing this or not. Right. I'm not, whether or not I participate doesn't make any difference as to whether or not they're going to participate. They're participating out of their own motivation and interest. And my choice to pass knowledge, to try my best to protect them, to try to give them everything they can I feel is a service rather than a liability. Yeah, absolutely. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Like you're not going luring people in. It's more like people who are people who are doing it and interested already. You're helping yeah. them stay as safe as possible. And sometimes yeah. it doesn't go that way. And that's the nature of life. Yeah. I think the reason why I wanted to touch on that is that the personal torment, like the challenge of like, mm -hmm. how do I live with myself? The, and and continue to get out of bed and be okay with going up another mountain or up another building or whatever and and there were definitely periods of time when I stopped teaching. Yeah. You know, 
I decided, I'm like, hey, I'll do this for myself, but I'm not taking you, you know? Wow. Well, and that's sort of almost where I want to go next, because on your resume, you have a ton of amazing, and you mentioned people doing adventurous things. You have, you know, Switzerland, you have Norway, you have the Grand Canyon, you have wingsuit racing, you have heli boogie, you have Baffin. Like, there's so many things on this list of things I could ask about specifically that in like thinking about it as a, you know, sort of in the interviewer role, I'm like, I don't even know which one to pick, you know? So I'm sort of like, tell us, start to tell us about all of that stuff, like the, that part of your base jumping career, which is in that realm of sort of creation and, and pushing the envelope and or having experiences and or, you know, like you tell us. Oh, man. You know, I the whole of the experience, right? Like the whole in its entirety of like, um, this is my 25th year in the sport and I continue to remain active in base jumping. I just got a new base canopy. I just got a new base rig ordered. I'm going, gonna go base jumping this year and I'm gonna do some of the most adventurous stuff that I've ever done. And they continue to like, challenge myself to do so in ways that are in, in more and more refined and i think the the lesson for me like the learning that i've received from this is you can be you can continue up in the ante like escalating risk by adding more and more and more elements to what is being done between putting a pack on your back and landing a parachute again or being back home like the entire circle of the experience you can make it more and more risky by up in the ante or you can make it more and more refined by learning to recognize the variables and choosing picking carefully which ones you decide to include or not include so I think if I, the whole the sport is such a gift to me. I'm I'm quite in awe of the experience. I mean, you asked me this question, and I think like, what am I gonna, how do I describe being on the top of mountains in Switzerland? Yeah. How do you describe going to the Arctic to be in Baffin or flying wingsuits into the Grand Canyon? Right, or, right. You know, That's like, why I'm like, I don't even know what to ask you. It's just such a phenomenal list. Yeah, it, it, it's been. I, I'll say this, like, I, of course, became a skydiver before I became a base jumper, but I consider myself a base jumper before I consider myself a skydiver. Like, I, I am at my heart a base jumper when it comes to being a parachutist. Why is that? What does that mean? I mean, that's the spiritual side of it. Like, that's the, like, the why question. The why do I do this is... Because the what I get back from walking up a mountain, sitting on top with either alone or with friends, and experiencing that presence of now in relationship to all it is, the whole of nature, my own life, my own significance and insignificance all in one, that, that context is... 
on such a grand scale in base jumping for, from my perspective, right? From my own individual experiential perspective, seeing the world, accessing all these vistas, seeing myself, seeing the relationship to it all, and oftentimes just sitting silently in it, you know, the just being present there and feeling the majesty of, of I mean, the, the planet is just an incredible, incredible, incredible sphere, right, in this grand universe. And we rarely, rarely sit atop the most beautiful precipices, right? Like most of our time are spent at our office chair or in our car or on our couch, like in these really comfortable, easy to be locations. And base jumping often provides access to the opposite of that, to like the most precarious of positions. And in that, there's also the relationship to letting it all go. Mm -hmm. Giving it, completely giving in to fate and freedom and releasing any fear that does not serve us and saving just the ones that do what we need them to do. Yeah. What was one of the most standout experiences that you've had? And I know that's probably an impossible situ- or possible question to, an- to answer given the list, but if you had to pick something to share about, what would you, what stands out? Um, I think, and the first thing that comes to mind is um, very early on in my career uh, when I went to California. Uh, Mario, when I was working at the shop with Mario, he turned to me one day and he said, "You want to go to California with me? Go jump out cap." Oh, awesome! And he had never jumped a cliff. He had wow. no cliff jumps at that time because he was an East Coast jumper nice. and neither did I. And so for both of us, that was going to check the box on the list of building antenna span and earth or E being for earth. And so we went out there and we there's also tons and tons of things to, to jump out there aside from the cliff. And we were going to meet up with some friends and jump off a whole bunch of other stuff. And I ended up rolling up to uh, an object which I had already decided I wasn't going to jump because it was below the minimum altitude that I had set for myself to feel comfortable. Um, And at the time, that was 300 feet. Mm -hmm. Mario had taught me that anything under 300 feet, you shouldn't free fall from it. There's not enough time or margin. There's ways to jump lower than that. You can do different types of deployments, but I was still a rather beginner at the time. And so I had just said, I'll just keep this simple. I'll just watch. I'll let some other people do some stuff. I'm still a student. Let's you guys have, have at it and I'll learn some stuff and I'll be able to decide if that's something I want to do or don't do at some other point in time. And we rolled up to this bridge and I'd never been to California before. And as we were rolling up to the bridge, coming around the corner, I saw a sign go by and I recognized the sign which was super weird because I'd never been to California before. And I'm like, why would I know this sign? And I went past the sign 
And then we pulled over and stopped and we're basically like half a mile down the road from the sign was where the bridge was. And I suddenly put it together that it was the same place that was on my father's death certificate, which I had received my father's death certificate in the mail because he had died falling off of a cliffside into the ocean in California. Oh my God. And this location was the same location that was on it. So I recognized the name of the place from the death certificate on the sign for the park that we had gone by. And then all of a sudden, I'm just filled with like white cold, <sighs> sweat dread, just like, oh, 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 what the fuck, you know? So understandable. How am I in this place, you know? And I'm like, my father died when I was nine, and I was probably 23, 24 at this time. And so there I am going, you're, I, I, first, I'm in a state of shock. And Mario's all jumping up and down, eager beaver, ready to go jump. And so is the other guy, Jeff, who's with it. They're all stoked. And I'm just in like total, what the hell's going on? And I'm like, there's no way I'm jumping now. Not a chance. Like, no way I was going to jump before. For sure I'm not going to jump now. And so I'm like, well, you guys have fun, man. I'm like super freaked out. I'm just going to stand back and watch you guys and wait for this freaky energy to lay down. Mm-hmm. And maybe I'll feel better soon when we leave maybe you know and so i grabbed my camera because i filmed everything back then i was always video camera in hand and i headed down the side of the slope to go to the bottom to film from the bottom because it looked like a really beautiful place to film from and on the way down there i nearly took a header a couple times and i was like oh my god this is how my dad died he slipped and fell on one of these slippery treacherous places that i was so unfamiliar with as you know having never been there before Mm -hmm. i had no idea what the composition of the soil was like and that you take one step and it was super slidey Mm -hmm. and so it super sketched me out on the way down there i was all like in way up in my own head as you might imagine yeah and i I went to the bottom and I watched Mario jump and I filmed him and high-fived him at the bottom, but I was still not really there. You know, I was still up in my own head. And then we climbed back out and on the climb out, same thing. Took a major slide, nearly went ass over tea kettle down the side of the slope again. And I'm just like, okay, what's going on? What am I doing here? How is any of this happening? And... We finally got back up to the top and we got in the car and we drove down the highway a bunch to some national park and we, you know, so had a picnic lunch and packed parachutes and, and I got to this point in myself where I'm like, what's this, what is going on with this life of mine? How do I end up now? We're going to go, Mario's going to go back. He's going to do another jump. And I am there scratching my own head going how am i in the same place how am i facing the same fate what is up with life how, where's the irony how is this so ironic and how am i supposed to process this do i shrivel in fear and be like i don't know man i'm just scared i don't or do i like face eternity and i just said I had that fuck it moment where I'm like, look, if I'm going to die in the same place as my father, who I never really knew, 
because that's the fate of the universe and I'm an idiot for f stepping off of a bridge, then fine. And if not, fine. And either one of those, I'm going to have an answer because I've been living my life with this, this huge monologue uh, that I had told myself about who my father was and what he's done and all the relationship to what led to his death and all the things. And I just said, screw it. And I pulled my parachute out and I packed it in the correct way for such a low jump. Um, and I was, I was jumping skydiving equipment back then. I had my mm -hmm. base rig. I had just built my own base rig. I think I had yeah. like two jumps on it or something. I built it to go on that trip with. And yeah, I packed it up and the whole story. I mean, I could really go on about that story, but I'll shorten yeah. it down because okay, no, it's beautiful. yeah I put my rig on in the car and got fully ready in the car and we were driving up the highway and it just so happened that there was construction going on in the area so they were doing the pilot car thing where they lead a bunch of cars through going one way only yeah and then they turn around the other end and they take a bunch of cars going the other way and we just happened to get last mm -hmm. in line on the train of cars so we, as we were driving along the coming up to the words of a bridge, we just slow down and slow down and slow down and let everybody else keep going. And I literally, we stopped in the middle of the bridge and Mario hopped out of the drive passenger seat and I got out of the back seat and it was a sunset. It's right in the Pacific ocean. And I remember literally just like leaping up onto the barrier, onto the, the bear, um, yeah, the railing. The handrail. Yeah, yeah the railing. Yeah. I didn't. Was, I think that was the most fearless I've ever been with regards to like getting up onto the railing. Wow. Like I leaped up onto the railing, just <laughs> and just oh sit up there. I was just like, "This is it, man!" And like, it's a assisted jump. So Mario had my pilot shoot to help with the deployment of the parachute because there's no free fall. You just step yeah. off. And I remember feeling so much joy. Like there was so much happiness and so much joy because I was looking at this most orange ball over the Pacific, these huge breaking waves, this beautiful beach, this amazing cliffs, like everything about it is just fantastically beautiful. And Mario just in this like infectious energy of smile and just knowing that what I'm, he knew the struggle that I was going through and that what I'm doing is like facing every fear that I have in relationship to my father and my life and the, that interconnectivity and those successes and failures of fatherhood and all the things yeah. that come along with it, you know? Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, this, this was a starting point, you know, and there's been so many, but that's that particular story stepping off that bridge into eternity and growing into the person that is to come as a result of that amazing. you know facing that you amazing know. wow thank you to my for book sharing that yeah there's a big chapter in my book about that that's... that is a, an amazing story i just really thank you for sharing that and it's so funny because, it, you know, I asked that question and, you know, I'm thinking, oh, you'll share maybe like I'm thinking, oh, we'll hear about the Grand Canyon or we'll hear about the Dolomites or we'll hear about, you know, 
Baffin or whatever, which obviously those are unique and special in their own way, but it sounds like such a crux experience that allowed you to really free yourself from something that was holding you back in a big way that maybe opened up doors to so many other experiences. Totally correct me if I'm wrong. No maybe involved there. (laughs) Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Please confirm or deny. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, another thing, and again, it's sort of hard to even go forward from that story because it's so powerful and wonderful and beautiful. And yet that's what we do. We go forward and we do more things. And I'm curious about your experience with wingsuit base jumping because, I, I, well, basically I'm, I'm wondering about that and also sort of where that built to, for you as well. So I don't necessarily want to ask with sort of the end in mind, but maybe I just open the floors for you to tell me about wingsuit base jumping, because that's something that I think even, you know, a lot of non-skydivers are very curious about. And, and you're one of the most experienced people in the world to talk to about base jumping. So I wanted to ask about wingsuit base jumping as well. Well, thanks. I don't know that I truly feel comfortable with that accolade, but I, I do have my share of time in the sport. Um, I would say, uh, when I, when I started apprenticing in the nineties in, and, uh, Deland with Mario, um, at that time I'd been jumping in Florida for a number of years already skydiving and, um, Patrick Dugardien was a very prolific, uh, he's an <laughs> iconic, um, jumper in the sport, just legendary for his contributions. And he's well known for being kind of the, the modern forefather of the wingsuit. Okay. Although there's, there's been many of people who, who attempted to fly wingsuits before Patrick. Patrick was really the guy who did it repeatedly enough to where it kind of cracked open the doorway and he was jumping into land a lot at the time. And I had a chance to look at his suits and to have hands on and talk to him about it. And he actually died during the time while I was working at Vertigo, flying a wingsuit on a skydive and had made some mistake. And he, and I was already passionately engaged in the idea that I wanted to do this mm-hmm. when, when, he, um, when he died and when I was learning and I still went for it anyways, you know, as soon as I got my hands on a wingsuit, like a year, like it was a year later, the first time I got my hands on one. And it was maybe one or two years after that, that I jumped off a cliff with one for the first time with no instruction, with no guidance, with no mentor, with nobody to look to for any type of how to do this or not to do this because I didn't know anybody who had done it. Like my closest mentors are like, haven't done it. Yeah. And I'm just like, I'll oh, do it. You know, I'm just going to do it and I'm going to go find a place that I could do it and I'm going to go for it. Mm-hmm. And I took my homemade base rig and just got out of a parachute and wingsuit that I had, I don't know, a hundred or 200 jumps on if I was lucky. Right. And went, and found a spot and nearly died 
Yeah, I went. It went all wrong. I slipped wow. and spun and went out of control. Oh my god! Just totally, barely pulled it off and had another one of those super close calls and mm-hmm. chalked up another one, put another mark on the wall. You know, and that was you know almost twenty years ago now. Wow! And since then, I've flown. I don't know how many different dozens and dozens of suits, types of suits, the entire progression of the sport. I started wingsuit base jumping in Norway in 2003 and have continued focused, progressive jumping since then. I've never gone like super crazy with it, but I've been very focused and taken my training um, my approach to doing something in this like the structured way of doing it and it's become one of the most in- incredible gifts I've ever received in this life you know wingsuit base jumping yeah absolutely mm-hmm. yeah the, the ability to fly off of a skyscraper and fly like Batman through a city is just like what the hell <laughs> so you know like that's the thing you, yeah. when you're a little kid and you watch a movie and you see this on a movie and you're just like, well, that's a movie. And then later in life, you're standing on top of a giant skyscraper dressed in a black and blue winged outfit going through. (laughs) Right. What? Right. (laughs) So crazy. What? I mean, that's so interesting. We talk a lot about polarity on the show and, and the juxtaposition. I feel like I can't leave this episode without asking you your take on the spike of fatalities in wingsuit base jumping and what your commentary is on that for people to learn from from that yeah so you know as as with early on in the sport with having close calls myself with losing students the question of am i going to keep doing this repeatedly pops up and as wingsuit base jumping you know grew and started to become more and more popular the number of people doing it and the number of the, the level of risk being taken and assumed by the participants started to just dramatically shoot upwards bell curve style and yeah. more and more people started dying and more and more often and more, cons- you know, just, just, it became that in the middle of the last decade, somewhere 2014, 15, 16, the number of people who died each year, there was, was, equal to the, the total number of people who had died in the 20 years previous wow. in like three years yeah in one three week period i lost like six friends and i i remember walking um with my wife uh at the time down the road and just being in this state of like Like, am I, is this the wrong choice? Am I, do I, should I stop doing this? Do I need to get off this wild and crazy ride before I'm one of the people on that list? Because man, I've had, I had had a list of close calls in this process of learning to survive the discipline, you know? And there's so much involved. And, and at some points, I really, 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 really stopped to ask, like, do it. Man, I mean, I'm stumbling for words because yeah. the deeper question 
when you've lost so many people around you or when people are dropping like flies, you're like, is this just dumb? Are we just mm-hmm. being stupid right now? Should we just like recognize that we thought this was fun at first, but now it's a ride for idiots, right? You know? Right. And I don't want to be an idiot. I might be, and and I'm, I've never stopped, and I've certainly changed my ways. Yeah. You know, I've acted differently, and I still understand the risk and relate. And that bell curve peaked and has gone back down. The whole sport had this really crazy experience where the entire community and all the associated family and friends and everybody, everybody in the sport as a whole went through this giant wave of grief and trauma in association to this, you know, the amount of fatalities going crazy. And... It had a really, it's sad to say, but it had a really positive effect on things. You know, it's really changed the way that people think and act. And not everybody, you know, of course. But I think that a lot of the people who are the wiser ones, and I use that hesitantly, but maybe the more experienced ones, that's what I'm saying. Like the people who've been in it for longer tend to have pulled back on their position and like reposition their attitudes towards how to approach things and how not to approach things. Right. And very openly speak to the younger generations in a way that guide them towards the chances of surviving being more likely. Yeah. That actually takes us to the next thing. And I, that you being a leader and you at through all of your experiences and all the ups and downs and you certainly as a human you as a base jumper you as a a teacher coach mentor whatever I want to hear about the 169 way world record that you organized and how you took that job and tell us tell us about that because that's sort of a more recent uh and it seems like from where i sit a culmination of your experience into your leadership and your creative event building and and leading people into something uh that you made safely possible Sure. So first of all, I'd like to make sure that I state that I don't take credit for organizing that in any um, independent way. Um, My good friend, Shane Dunn, um, he put out a call to say that, you know, we're doing another record attempt. And there have been previous records in the past, um, all hosted in the same place in northern Norway. And when Shane started getting names together and putting dates on the calendar. I've known Shane for a long time and I I knew I'm like, he's not gonna be able to do this on his own. He's gonna need help. And it's a very challenging, big big ways in general are a very challenging thing to organize and it's more even more so in base jumping. Um, And the qualifications, the skill level, the leadership that's needed, the strong personalities, all the things that are involved. And I had already been spending a lot of time in Norway every year in Norway for 16 years straight. So know the community quite well. And I'd chosen to take a position as a chief instructor at the um, 
sky the base jumping school there and stavanger base club that year so i was already in a leadership position and with my time in flight one and all the work being a coach and being a leader to others it really felt good to me at that time to like offer my experience to to the community to help guide the group in whatever way that I could and to work with the team of people who were also putting up their hands to be involved in organizers because they're really selfless people. They're the people who are only there for each other and for the group and for the passion of it all and to do something extraordinary. And it was really just a perfect storm of timing that I could be there and do it all with everyone. And and I was feeling strong, uh, you know, in my soul at the time that I could step up and be like, hey, I know how to give some guidance to the group. If everybody wants, I'll offer you my thoughts. And it was a, whew, whew, it was challenging, man. That was a <laughs> tough one. But it, we, we got 73 people up the mountain. Yeah. And... I think 72 or 73 and the weather was far from perfect and I just had this like inner knowing that it was going to mm -hmm. open up and it was going to be great and everything was going to go but we literally walked up there in the clouds and like just <laughs> no way and a lot of people didn't go up it could have been a hundred way there was enough people there to do a hundred wow but enough people said no I'm not going because the conditions were so questionable yep and we got there and there's all the personalities and there's all the people involved and some people are ready to jump on right that instant and be like, hey man, I'm getting off this mountain, I'm going back down. And others people are like, I'm walking back down and all the different things. And yep. it was it worked out perfectly to the sense where the entire clouds opened up and we took a big group photo and then got everybody lined up. And we had, I think we had four groups Mm -hmm. of and four team leaders and we'd set up a whole structure and radio communications and like a really much 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 different approach to the way that it's ever been done in the past which was more just everybody charge kind of yeah. big countdown everybody charge and we spread this out over you know it's a massive massive cliff and um we had a we did have we had a malfunction there's a link on youtube and we can put it in the show notes and i'll share it there yeah um to this to the whole thing and we had a this system where everybody gears up everybody gets ready when everybody's ready the group leader radios this group is ready the next leader does the same thing the next leader does the same thing when the final group says they're all ready then we make a call for everybody to move to the exit and everybody moves to the exit once everybody's in the exit in the first group the first group says, we're on exit, we're ready. Then the second group, we're on exit, we're ready. Because you're stretched out over like half a mile down wow. the length of this cliff. It's wow. massive. Yeah. So you can't even see the person who's on the other end of the group. And we got a confirmation that the final group was ready. That triggers the start of the countdown. The countdown starts and we get like four or five seconds in and somebody's like, wait, 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 somebody's not ready. <laughs> oh my God. But there's a hunt, like there's 73 people who are already counting. Oh so, my God. Yeah. And so it's like, stop, stop, wait, 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 wait. And everybody starts stopping, saying stop, stop instead of counting. And some people just kept counting and oh like two or three God. people bailed off the cliff and everybody else just stood there and watched three people track away. <laughs> oh my goodness. And you're like, oh, that oh sucks. Oh my goodness. 
<laughs> Those guys. Best laid plans. Oh. And so we literally had to watch them open, fly down, land, and them just go, what in the hell? Why didn't everybody... Is this a joke? Didn't oh. everybody else just pull one over on us? You oh, know? man. And then we had to start the whole thing over again and like mm-hmm. keep everybody calm. So imagine what like people's energy levels just totally did yep, a yep. wild ride because the whole thing was just like, don't go, don't go. Yeah. <laughs> And then we did it, and and there was a couple of close calls. Like no, um, I mean I'm completely honest. Some there was yeah. a couple of close calls in there, and lessons learned. Um, but nobody was injured, nobody got hurt, and we pulled it off. And it was officially a 69 way. Cool. Because cool. 69 people exited at the one time. Amazing. And the whole experience, I mean, just led to. It was incredible to be on that energy and all. Uh, yeah, I'm super. Okay, and I'll go back. I'll do it again. I'll, I'll definitely do that again. And the party afterwards was one of the best parties. Like celebration, just people all gathered at the yeah in the in the bottom of fjord, just all night enjoying company, big bonfire, good music, celebrating. Oh my gosh, we didn't even touch on on that the celebratory nature of the base community and the love there and all of that. And I the people yeah i mean that's sort of the last thing like as we round out this episode what what haven't we talked about that you think is really important to mention before we close a ton of things yeah i know kidding yeah i think but i think the 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 one that's the kind of the what keeps me in the sport outside of me going up a mountain on my own flying down and having my own independent spiritual experience is the people that I've met in the sport of base jumping are some of the most creative thinkers I've ever met. And at the same time, they're wildly insane. They're just so willing to be in a space that is so far away from what most everybody in the world lives in. And simultaneously to be so far a gap in these areas to also be the most grounded people that I've ever met. Wow. And that's the part that I think is the big takeaway that most people don't think that that when they get into it, that's not why they're getting into it. They're getting into it for some inner something inside is pulling them to want to step off of a bridge or a building or whatever, a cliff. But what you end up with is that these people who can be without judgment and as much ego as they have, there can be without ego and aware of the value of time and the value of friendship, having lost so many and just the, the value of this community, the family is something that I, continually find myself grateful for and i'm so honored to be a part of that community because it gives so much back to me and i get to have the best friends in my life out of that community Uh, it's amazing amazing people thanks to all my base fam i love you guys yeah right i mean gosh maybe we could do a next another episode on just base family or just people again you know 
talking about people's stories. There's just so oh many gosh. stories. There's so many stories, you know? So it's like it's it's we at least are surrendering to the impossibility of covering everything and having a feeling of really like we've made it all <laughs> into one hour of an episode. I just like, wow, I, I just thank you for your sharing. You know what I mean? I said it earlier, but getting the opportunity to sit here and listen and be, and I just, you know, be a conduit for sharing your stories and sharing just the insight and, and inspiration that comes from that is just really cool to be a part of, you know? So it's, it's like the base jumping, uh, parallel. It's sort of like a parallel. Like I'm having this individual experience where I get to be with you and be in this conversation and listening and bringing curiosity. And I get to be a part of sharing in a bigger way and, you know, motivating or inspiring people or, or just educating people or whatever, impacting people in a positive way, hopefully. So I just thank you for that. And uh, family, we hope that you get are getting a lot out of these episodes that we're doing in this sort of reflection style. Uh, Please let us know if you have feedback, if there's something you'd like us to cover, you know, we're we're open to your ideas, we're open to your feedback. So yeah, let us know. And Jay, any other final thoughts or close out thoughts? It's just such a huge, I mean, it could do episodes and episodes and episodes based on the the you know all the different branches in the tree and i'm just it's such a passion and i'm there's so much gratitude i'm just really grateful for the opportunity to be able to i mean i'm leaving this podcast feeling so much better than i felt before starting it because of the gratitude reminders and all the lessons and the things that have come from this journey are now really present in the front of my mind and in my spirit. And so I'm grateful because I've been struggling with a little depression lately and having these reminders has really helped set me on a more in tune vibration. So thanks. Thanks for the space. Absolutely. I think we all have, have bouts of, of that. And I, I honor your sharing of that too. And I honor the, even just opportunity to hold space for for you and others and family that's i know we mention it every episode but it really i mean you are invited to join the trust the journey family if you are so called and certainly if you're looking for extra support now or ever that that is a group that is really we're we're there for each other and it's not like the hugest deal. It's not like you have to engage all the time or every day or that much. You can be sporadic or just kind of watch and learn and, and read and whatever. But there's there's good energy there. There's there's love there. There's true support there. And so please join us if you want. And that is, you know, trustthejourney.today or drop us a DM on Instagram, which is also trustthejourney.today. Remember, keep laughing, keep loving, keep trusting the journey. Heck yes. Love you. Tell me about it.